All the Ali Oxen Free! Welcome to the Archerpreneur Now podcast. I am super pumped up to have all you little boys and all you little girls here today to celebrate today's guest, Laurel Seville. She's a writer, a teacher, marketing and advertising guru, and most respectively, a cancer survivor. Find out what she sees in life that's so beautiful in every single aspect and how she uses that to keep her drive going. And remember, all of the show notes will be available on artsynow.com and you can access and subscribe to this on iTunes at artsynow.com forward slash iTunes. Yo, get up off your booty and get up on your feet. Do a little boogie woogie while I drop the beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well then get on with your bad self. Today we have an amazing guest for you. She's floating all around on an island just out of Seattle, Washington. Writing books, writing essays, and marketing up a storm. She's bringing down the house. Everybody give it up for... Laurel Saville. Laurel, you are the entrepreneur now. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Wonderful. I'm so happy that you are here. Uh, Laurel is a writer. She gets into essays, books, memoirs. She's been a teacher at multiple colleges, a marketing and advertising guru, and she has so much value and insight, and if you want to get on her website and check it out, uh, her credentials just go on and on. Uh, publishing credits for award-winning memoirs, novels, design books, short fiction, numerous featured articles and essays in national and international magazines, as well as other publications. Uh, so congratulations on all the success, Laurel. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, you uh, pointing all that out. Sometimes people only know me for one part or another, but I definitely have been all over the map in the writing world and in the marketing. Um, have uh, been very fortunate to craft a life where I do all of that. You know, fantastic. I mean, you mentioned you've been inside the Los Angeles Times Magazine, New York Times dot com, Oxygen. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole list of stuff on here. So it's pretty fantastic. But before we get into anything uh, real in depth, we'd like to kind of start this segment off with something called the breezy threes. We just like to get to know your side a little bit, uh, your creative senses and what some of your influences are. So what do you think some of your most influential creative works that uh, have kind of led you to be who you are today are? You know, there's so many things. I, I can't really isolate anything, any one thing or another. I think it's really more of a way of being in the world and just being open to anything, whether it's, I was looking out the window and watching the, breeze 
move the incredible fronds of this huge evergreen out my window. And, you know, that's as inspiring as going to see um, an amazing piece of artwork in a museum. You just have to um, really be open and observant and look for inspiration in everything around you. Oh, wow. I love that answer. I haven't heard that one before. And it's so true. Uh, It's so beautiful. Everything that that you can look at, you can find something amazing in. Uh, You just have to have the attitude and and that's fantastic. Uh, do, do you have any role models or influencers as far as people go? Um, I'm always surprised and interested in 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 uh, finding in creative people who are doing it their own way, who are looking for um, a way to be in a creative field um, that is respective of the people that came before them, but also where they're adding new, something new and interesting to it. And so I can't, again, I, there's not a, a short list, but I'm always amazed when I come across new things and new people. I was at a uh, a music museum the other day with my stepdaughter and my husband, and I was watching a video of somebody I've heard about but hadn't really didn't really know about a rap artist called Macklemore, who's from here. And I know nothing about rap. I know nothing about this guy. I've just heard his name, and I was just again paying attention and watching the video and listening to the lyrics, and it just opened up a whole new world for me. Of like, wow, this is something I haven't considered before in terms of a way of being creative. And, uh, you know, suddenly I just wanted to know more about this, this artist and learn more about how he created and what his background was and how he came to where he was at. So I think, again, it's really a process of being open to even those things that seem to have no direct relevance to the work you're trying to do. Yeah, he, he's definitely an interesting character. Um, so if you look more into him, I think you'll find that. And uh, again, I love that message. Uh, you're into essays. You know, you've written pretty popular memoir, you've got novels, uh, you've taught marketing in colleges. Uh, some of the writings, you, you did Henry and Rachel and Unraveling Anne, which both really seem like beautiful stories. But to you, what is the best part about writing? Um, and can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to this point? Sure. Um Well, I've always wanted to be a writer, and I think part of it was I had kind of a a very unconventional and rather difficult childhood, which I know is a little bit of a general statement and can mean anything, but I guess I would say you have to read the book to find out about (laughs) the specific uh, aspects of my strange childhood. And I always found books to be a refuge, and I found libraries to be a refuge from a rather chaotic home life. And I'm sure that that's part of what inspired me, Um, but it also helped me see another way of living, another way of being, another point of view, another um, way of constructing a life, whether whatever the book was, um, whether it was, you know, reading Heidi and imagining what it would be like to live in the mountains with a kindly grandfather when I was living in the midst of of uh, hot and dry and concrete infested Los Angeles. Um, you know, it just was always so powerful to, to read, uh, to be taken into somebody else's world. And I, that is also the answer of what's the best thing about writing is, is creating those worlds and hoping that somebody else can enjoy them and find them. And I think that that applies to all the writing I've done. Um, I've written several books on various design topics. And what was really wonderful about those books was I'm not a designer, but was interviewing other creative people and understanding their process and how they went about developing 
their piece of furniture or their magazine or their business or their client's work. Um, and then trying to make that world live for my readers, make that world come alive in a way that will expand their perspective and expand their view of the world and expand their, you know, heart, mind, soul kind of a thing. Um, so writing has always been a part of what I've done. Um, you know, you have to make a living in this world and writing novels, uh, necessarily short stories isn't necessarily a path to making a living, but I always went for jobs that involved writing, whether it's in public relations or marketing or advertising or brand development and, um, all that kind of work, any kind of writing teaches you how to be a good writer. Some people sort of poo poo corporate work, but, um, it's really a uh, very short sighted because there's all kinds of very creative um, tasks that are involved in doing corporate communications. And I could go on and on about that with examples, but, um, and you get to work with very creative people and it can be very fertile ground for honing your craft in a variety of ways. So that's what I've done professionally. And then when I got into my late thirties, I really wanted to spend some more energy onto my literary side. So I went back to graduate school. I went to a low residency MFA program so I could keep working. And I, became a freelancer and quit my day job. And for the last dozen years, that's what I've been doing and been fortunate to be able to, to do it uh, well and to be able to support myself well and to have clients who understand if I want to take a month off to go work on a novel and are very happy to have me back when I'm, when I'm back. Um, so I've kind of pieced together these various freelance gigs and novel writing and, um, and various other literary pursuits and a little bit of teaching and a little bit of lecturing and a little bit of this, that, and the other thing. Um, and for me, it works very well for a lot of people that would be very, would be very hard for them to do with it. The <laughs> never knowing what the next day is going to bring or never knowing how much money you're going to make or all those yeah. sorts of things. But for me, it's rather a dream life. Yeah. It sounds a lot like where I would like to be as far as creating multiple streams of revenue you know, some passive, some not. And it's just something to me that would be so interesting. And every day is a little bit different. And you never know what's going to be repetitive. And it just, it's, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. People always say that being a freelancer makes you more insecure. And in some ways it does because you just don't have the security that if you go to your office and whether you sit around all day or whether you work your butt off, you're still making that paycheck. You know, you're really on the line constantly when you're a freelancer. You have to, every hour represents a certain amount of income. And so you you become very clear about where you're putting your energy and what you're getting out of what you do. But at the same time, it is interesting to have multiple streams and multiple approaches and to be able to think, well, you know, if, if I need to, I could go get a part time job and still do some of this and some of that. And I, I really like that kind of ad hocness about it. Um, for me, it works really, really well. But having said that part of why it works for me and part of why I can be successful at it was that I you know, worked in a certain industry and became uh, a professional in a certain industry for 25, 30 years before I went out on my own. So I often tell people when they're thinking of being a freelancer, don't do it too soon because you really need to get out there and learn from lots of other people so that when you do go on your own, you have a lot to bring to the table to your clients or customers or projects. Yeah. And after a certain amount of time there, you've probably already built up a pretty decent network as well. Absolutely. Which, which can play a huge role in everything. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that kind of, 
a uh, different twist on just getting your hands involved in so many different aspects has some kind of, it's got a lot of excitement there for me. I kind of like that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I think um, one of the, the downfall is that you are always working, you know, you're, you're always thinking about, there's never a uh, turn it off because you're always thinking about something you could be doing or should be doing, whether it's for your clients or yourself, there's never a, a moment where you're not considering what else you can be pursuing. The plus side is that you know, I can look at my calendar and say, hmm, uh, from two to three, I'm going to schedule a mountain bike ride, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'll work from nine to 10. And that, that 24-7-ness of it is, um, again, a plus and a minus. You just have to manage it and find ways to to give yourself a break because otherwise you end up, you know, just constantly feeling like there's more, 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 more you yeah. could, should, might be doing. Yeah, and the, f- the flexibility is so worth it. Um, you know, if you work hard, you can get to that point where you have that flexibility. And so that's something that everybody should uh, target a little bit. No, I'm, I'm a big believer that we should all live every day like it's our last. And I had another guest on a couple episodes ago, uh, Patrick McInerney, and he actually just took off right after high school and, and followed his passion of creating businesses around skateboarding. And he mm-hmm. had a quote that he said, if I remember it correctly, I think it was, live each day as if it were your last and someday you'll most certainly be right, which is a Steve Jobs <laughs> quote. And when I look back on life at the end, personally, I want to know I put in every bit of juice I had uh, to make it the most amazing, to make it the most flexible, uh, to to make it the most influential to others and the most meaningful that I possibly could. And only at that point will I truly be satisfied. And I believe that it should be that way for everyone. Uh, and if you, if you actually follow life and, and you follow your passions and you want to do that, things can just turn out so much better. And you actually experienced uh, cancer, unfortunately, at such a young age. And I can't even imagine the feelings that you had throughout that process. But how do you think that situation changed your outlook on life and kind of the way you approach it? Um, Well, I've always very much had a feeling that any day could be your last. So that didn't change so much for me with the cancer, Um, you know, maybe because of the chaoticness of my childhood or because I've saw people really screwing up their lives and taking every taking opportunities that they had been given and squandering them. I've always probably to a fault wanted to make the most of every single thing that I possibly could. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't judge people who are easier going and happy to, you know, spend a few hours kicking back and watching TV or whatever it is. That's just not me. I just always feel like, you know, every, there's every moment I want to make as best as I can. And it's also part of it is the feeling of, I want to leave every situation a little better than I found it. You know, whether it's carrying something upstairs when you go upstairs to save a trip or whether it's just trying to make somebody's day a little brighter, as corny as that sounds, I really feel very strongly that I'm trying very hard in my life to make, um, just to, to make every situation a little better than I found it. What the cancer did do for me is, um, and it still is doing for me, is trying to remind me to, uh, this is going to sound a little counterintuitive, but be a little more selfish. Mm-hmm. Be a little more um, focused on what I need and what I want and and make make situations not just better for other people, and but also better for myself. And that's been something that's very hard for me to do. I'm very focused on making things good for other people. And then I'll take care of myself. Um, 
So that's, that's been one of the lessons is to try to be a little more selfish, try to be a little less tolerant, try to be a little, a little more, um, a little less forgiving in a certain way, because I definitely would suck up a lot of things in my life that maybe I shouldn't have sucked up. Um, so that's not the usual answer, but it's definitely the answer for me. Oh, it makes total sense. And I think that yeah. being, you know, you have to be a little bit selfish because with all that you are giving back to the world, uh, you wouldn't be able to give all of that back if if you didn't take time for yourself. Uh, so I completely agree with you on that. Right. So given all of the things that you've accomplished, you know, it's pretty amazing. And you still have so much left to do, I'm sure, uh, being the type of person that you say you are where you just you just want to keep going and you always want to leave every situation a little bit better than it was. Uh, what, what do you think your ultimate long-term goal is? Uh, you know, where, where do you see yourself in the future? Um, well, I'm working on another novel right now and, um, that's been really interesting and I've tried to make, you know, every book that I write become is such a, is such a long-term Project and such a marathon and such a, a scary, terrifying thing. You know, you spend all this time in isolation, struggling to to make the words tell a story and to make the story cohere and hope it's interesting. And you spend months and often years working on this, and then you just hope that you put it out in the world and it's going to uh, resonate with somebody. So I've written so many different kinds of books by now, with design books and creative books and a memoir and a no- and. A, a novel with a very unusual structure. Henry and Rachel has this unusual structure of seven or eight first-person narratives that are interwoven. And now I'm working on a more conventional novel with a more straightforward storyline. And I'm actually thinking about, once this is put to bed, the possibility of doing some science fiction, which is something I've never, I don't really know much about. I'm starting to read it now. And my husband is uh, an engineer, and I kept encouraging him to consider doing something in science fiction. And finally, I said, maybe we should work on it together, you know, because uh, he can do all the techie stuff and I could turn it into a story. So we've been talking about that. So it's always just looking for new, new, interesting things to try. Um, I recently took about six months of voice lessons, again, something very creatively terrifying, but um, I'd always wanted to be able to just sing and not be that person who was mouthing the words. And I dove in and it was fascinating and interesting and challenging and became quite a unique creative challenge. Um, and again, you know, anytime you learn one thing, it ties other, it ties into other things. And I'm a firm believer in getting education. I, I don't, I'm not really a big believer in being self-taught because you can't teach something that you don't really know, or as, as somebody once said, people who are self-taught don't have very good teachers. I want to learn from people who know lots and have done lots and have learned a lot themselves. Another thing that I'm thinking that I'd like to learn more about um, that I think I could possibly use in particularly science fiction books is music and music theory. So I'm thinking about taking some online courses along that line. So I'm always looking for a lot of, I find a lot of crossover in my creative pursuits I've taken some drawing classes and I find that that's really helpful in forcing you to see things as it is, as they are. For example, in drawing, they say uh, you should draw all over the page and not just focus on one little part of the drawing, but draw all over the page simultaneously. And I think that that's a great lesson for writing and a really good way to think about any kind of a writing project as well. 
they also say in drawing that you should draw what you see, what is definitely what is there, not what you think you see. And that's a very big challenge in drawing. And again, that's also a creative challenge in writing um, to be extremely observant and to find what's what's really there, not what you sort of think might be there and render that on the page with words rather than with ink or charcoal or whatever else. So I'm always looking for new creative challenges, both in writing and outside of writing, and then finding ways to try to bring them together. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite a few habits in place when you dive into these different areas, which is good. Um, because I think that forming these habits, you know, you're going out and taking uh, classes still and continuing continuously educating yourself. And I think education is huge and you can learn more from somebody who's been there and put all the effort into it and willing to teach it than you could ever learn by just trying to self-educate yourself, you know, from books or something. Exactly. There's so much that happens with that experience of a teacher and student. And if you don't learn from a master, then even if you're self-taught, you plateau, you get to a certain point, then you can't take yourself any further. I found that with everything I pursued, for example, with my writing, I had studied English literature in college and I had taken some writing classes and some writing courses and done a lot and been published and made a career in uh, corporate work. And then I realized that I wanted to take it to the next level. And the only way to do that was to go get more education. So I went back and got my MFA. And uh, I always say that to people that when they're taking on something new to really invest in, in a teacher, you know, there's this thing they say, there's this, this thing that, uh, this meme that's out there about 10,000 hours that you need to spend 10,000 hours to learn something. And uh, as is usual with a lot of shorthand, that's not quite the full story. I mean, we brush our teeth for 10,000 hours. We can run for 10,000 hours. The way you get good at something is putting a particular kind of 10,000 hours in, which is time spent learning and aggressively trying to improve and um, trying to make things better. And not just, you know, if you put 10,000 hours into journaling, you're going to have a very long, extensive journal, but you may not be a better writer. If you put 10,000 hours into writing and editing and getting readers and getting feedback and and um, having people respond to your writing, then you're going to get better. Yeah, wow. That's, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, people, uh, you have to look deeper into the, as usually you have to look a little deeper into those things. <laughs> So yeah, you evolve more as, as a well-rounded whole, and you, you can use those mentors to kind of connect the dots and take you to the next level. So Yeah, exactly. Well, you're the co-author of 100 Habits of Successful Freelance Designers, right? Right. And uh, I know we have a lot of freelance designers that listen to this show, and I just wanted to know if you could help us out with listing a few of the most important habits that or kind of throughout that book uh, that these listeners should get into the groove with today to kind of help them out? Sure. I mean, a lot of the book is, a, is about um, basic good practices, um, and it's, it's, it's a, very much a list of habits that we collected from freelance designers, whether it's how to manage your time and how to manage your money and how to get new clients and things of that sort. Um, the thing that I would say to freelance designers or any kind of graphic designer, because I work with them every day, all day, um, the biggest piece of advice I have is to learn about business. 
because um, you're not designing for other designers. You're designing for clients who are running businesses. And if you want to be successful and you want to do the work that you want to do, you really need to understand about business. I designed a course that I was teaching at the College of St. Rose for graphic design majors that focused on just that. It was basically sort of basic business for graphic designers and talked about branding and talked about sales and talked about public companies versus private companies. And um, my students really just soaked it up because they realized that this is what they're going to be doing. I would start the class by putting up on the list, by putting up on the board, asking them all the ways that you judge good graphic design. And then they talk about white space and they talk about typography and they talk about page composition. And they talk about color theory. And then I would take the piece of chalk and I would say, so this is what your clients think about all those things. And I put a big X through them because the clients really don't care at all about that stuff. They care about, is your color theory going to sell more of my widgets? And that's something that graphic designers often forget. They want to make their work um, the perfect expression of graphic design theory, but graphic design used to be called commercial art for a reason, which is that it was art designed to for commerce. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, successful designers really need to understand. Yeah, and that's even something that I struggle with because I always want to perfect you know, a graphic on a website or a graphic on something that we're creating for a package. And you really have to understand exactly that. So uh, yeah, that's huge. Okay, we're getting pretty close to, to getting to the 30-minute mark, Laurel. So I have a couple closing questions for you. Sure. And everything you said have been, has been so amazing and so valuable. So thank you for that. But if, Oh, no problem. If you could spend a little bit of time creating something with anybody from the past or present, who would it be and what would you create? Oh, I would probably create some kind of a wonderful evening of food and discussion with a fascinating group of people. And that could be, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Shakespeare and Macklemore and some <laughs> kind of really interesting mix of contemporary and ancient and classic artists across genres and create just an amazing um, meal and all sit around the table and talk about life and art and all that stuff. Oh, that would be fascinating, wouldn't it? And just think about the collaboration of creative works that that could create. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That would that would be somebody should make a movie based off that, or maybe you should write. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you should write. Maybe you should write something if they they were That's all to true. have a dinner I can, party. I'd turn that into a short story. Yeah, I'd I'd definitely be interested in reading it. So, if you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat him? Well, I'd tell him a story. <laughs> you know, I'm a writer. I would make him. I would ask him to sit down and I'd tell him a story about the people in the world that he was trying to destroy and ask, help, hope that he could understand um, the world that he was entering and maybe by understanding it better, create more compassion and interest and less destructive energy. <laughs> How do you think he would feel if you told him that he was just a story? <laughs> <laughs> We're all just stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any favorite advice uh, or any resources or tools that you use on a regular basis that you think could be of value to our listeners? Um, 
you know, I would say don't be afraid to try whatever you're really scared of. Try anyway. Yeah. And um, that's part of, you know, just saying yes to things. Um, the first book project I got was because I got an email and somebody said, I saw a story you, uh, I saw an article you wrote in a graphic design magazine and I'm looking for a couple of different writers and maybe work on this book about furniture design. And two things happened in that email that are really huge pieces of advice that it gave people. One is that I was a professional and I responded right away. And I followed up and I responded, you know, in a professional way with a proper grammar and proper sentence structure and all that. <laughs> and secondly, I said, yes, I had no idea how to do this. I had no idea if I could do this. I had no idea how one went about it. But I said, yes, I'm very interested. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you want. And we'll figure it out and I'll make it happen. And then I did. And, you know, I over delivered probably partially because I was scared. And, um, out of fear, I, you know, delivered more than they even expected. So because, because I handled it that way, I got that first book project, which led to actually several more book projects from the same publisher. And, you know, you hear, I hear things later from editors, like, for example, she was going to hire several writers to work on this book, but because I responded right away, she just went with me. She didn't need to waste time trying to find somebody else. Oh, wow. And um, because I was professional and always checked in with her throughout the entire process, I gave her the confidence that I knew what I was doing, that I was carrying on, that I was had things under control. And she told me repeatedly that a lot of other writers don't do that. And then, you know, just before the deadline, they call up and flip out and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's really it's really just say yes, but also then handle it in a very professional way and be a professional. Yeah. And getting out of your comfort zone and and doing everything that you are scared of is a huge point to make. Uh, and the amount of doors that that can open, it's just people would not believe. All you have to do is reach out and ask because there's always somebody out there that's willing to help. And if you present yourself correctly and you really put your true beliefs and passion into it and hard work, you'll just keep opening more and more doors. And you can't let your fear get in the way. You have to have, use your fear as a, as a spur to make you do really, really well. Um, you know, don't let it freeze you up. Let it make you run, so to say. Yeah. Um, I was giving a big lecture one time and someone said, are you nervous? And I said, well, you know, I have all the physical symptoms that would suggest nervousness, but I'm going to choose to interpret them as being excited <laughs> <laughs> because they're pretty close. You know, yeah. there's not much difference with the way those two things manifest in your body. Fear is the number one illusion in the world. So, yeah. Well, how can our listeners get in touch with you and some of your books? Uh, how can they get in contact with you if they if they want to check in with some of that stuff? Um, I'm very accessible. My website is laurelseville.com, and I have contact information on there. And you can find all my books on Amazon, of course. That's the easiest way to get to them. And uh, my email is laurel at laurelseville.com. So I, I really enjoy hearing from readers and I try to be generous with um, advice and help because I have been the recipient of generous advice and help. So, um, you know, I really appreciate the, the, the opportunity to be on the show. Well, thank you so much. You provided just unreal amounts of value. And especially I hope that there's a lot of writers out there that are sitting there 
uh, in all right now and looking forward to getting out their papers and putting pen to it and writing all over the page instead of just in uh, sequence and getting some of those ideas out there and just uh, tackling their passions and, and tackling their fears at the same time. So, Laurel, thank you so much for being the Archipreneur now. And always remember to keep it funky. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for listening to the Archipreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.